you want a better tomorrow, start heading for it today at Carroll and Kinsella BlackRock. We've got Toyota's full range of self-charging hybrid electric cars, including the eye-catching CHR and RAV4. With contributions of up to €3,000, join the thousands of hybrid drivers who have made Toyota Ireland's best-selling car brand in 2021. So start your electric journey. Contact us today or search Carroll and Kinsella BlackRock. Toyota. Built for a better world. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post's political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post's Westminster correspondent, and I'm joined today by Henry Mearson, the director of the Northern Powerhouse Partnership, Anna Round from IPPR North, and Yorkshire Post readers Andy Clark and Ian Pegg. We're going to be exploring exactly what's been happening on the election trail and what it means for Yorkshire. Henry, starting with you. What does the North want from this election? Well, obviously, anyone who reads the Yorkshire Post, whether it's online or print, will have seen last week the Power Up the North campaign. And we and other organisations around the North of England absolutely get behind the need for this election to have a Northern focus. So closing that North-South divide is a long-term project. You're not going to do it in a single parliament. But actually, the way to achieve that is to make some really big investments now in areas like Northern Education that Anna's worked in in her uh, research work, in transport policy, where, again, we've been campaigning for Northern Powerhouse Rail, for HS2 to continue up the east and the west coast for a long time now, and also further progress on devolution. And I think if, if the parties can answer that agenda, then those battleground seats where we know the election we won or lost here in Yorkshire and the wider north will potentially give a different outcome. And I think that's why this election, Power of the North, is going to have to be a slogan all three main parties use, because if they don't, they're going to find themselves on the wrong side of general election day and the wrong side of the results. Interesting. Anna, how important is Yorkshire in this election? Uh, it's a huge part of the North, and as such, it's got the potential both to be a, a, you know, a, a large block of votes, but also it's got the potential to be exactly part of that Northern prosperity that, that Henry's talked about. I absolutely echo everything that uh, Henry said. We need that investment in the North so that the region can fulfil its potential. There's a great deal of that within Yorkshire. And we've, we've heard a lot about investment so far. What we need more of from the parties now is how powers are going to come to the North, because we need structural change so that the North can actually use that investment and, and direct its own future with that. It can't be a one-off change where you know, that Westminster gives uh, investment to the North when Westminster wants. There has to be a structural change so that that investment is coming to the North in, in ways that allow long-term planning and real devolution of power real engagement across the region. Absolutely. Now we've got two normal members of the public here. Ian Pegg, you're a self-described swing voter and when Anna and Henry there are talking about what the parties need to do, you are one of the voters they're going to want to win. What's gone wrong in the past for you not to have a particular party allegiance? I, I think it's about promises that haven't been kept. More than anything, stop using sound bites and start meeting your commitment. If you say something's going to be spent or something's going to be happen within Yorkshire, do it. We don't want £100 million for a one-off project. We want long-term investment that makes a real difference to our communities, not to the country. A lot, of, a lot of readers of the Yorkshire Post, a lot of people in the North, want a difference to the communities. And that's important for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Andy? What do you think people need to be offered to really swing votes in this election? 
Well, I'd like to see a lot more progress on devolution. So we had you know, the government saying we don't accept um, One Yorkshire, which I think if that's their view, fine, mm. but I'd want to know why isn't that okay and what more do you want to see as far as I've seen they still haven't been clear on that. Right. And um, on, on that devolution, whilst we're on it, you know, they said that they they will agree to smaller deals. Do you fear that those piecemeal deals might become the norm rather than having that one Yorkshire focus? I think potentially, yeah. And I, in some ways, I see the appeal of it. I see the appeal of someone saying, actually, South Yorkshire and even West Yorkshire are completely different and have completely different economies. So perhaps they should be separate. I'm personally of the view that one Yorkshire is the right solution because I think you're as good as the sum of your parts. So, and you know, there is the there is something about brand Yorkshire as well. The Yorkshire Post is very good at helping to build the brand of Yorkshire and there's a lot going on across the whole county. So it'd be a shame to lose that, but I think it, there is potential purely from a political point of view. It's not necessarily in the Conservatives' interest to hand over control of another city to what would likely be a Labour mayor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, can you give us a bit of scene setting on that devolution? You know, Andy's talked about that's a priority for him, it's a priority for you guys as well. Why is it so important that, you know, Yorkshire but also the North as a whole has that devolution? I think you can see the example, can't you, about what's even been achieved by uh, Dan as a mayor in, in Sheffield yeah. City region. <clears throat> he doesn't even have his budget yet because of the, the challenges of getting uh, Barnsley and Doncaster to agree to move forward, linked back to the kind of one Yorkshire dilemma about showing progress on devolution across the rest of Yorkshire. But even just that convening power, I think, makes a real difference. And actually, it's also the basis under which a lot of the successes have been had by other mayors of all parties. So if you look at Andy Burnham in Greater Manchester... He's achieved things on homelessness in an area which he doesn't really have any formal powers over. Mm-hmm. But he's also doing something on bus regulation, for instance, on getting London-style bus services, potentially, if the consultation goes that way. And you can only do that with the powers of the devolution agreement. And so I think that if you then look across the, the mayors, they all use their convening power across all parties. So obviously, there's also a, a Conservative mayor in the Teats Valley in the north. Um, but what's most important is how you use the powers you've actually been given as well, mm-hmm. because I think that that combination of kind of doing what you've been elected to do which might not be something you've currently got the powers for so lobbying for that or lobbying for more funding is as important as using the things you've been given and I think I think in West Yorkshire if you take that two-stage approach that all roads to one Yorkshire lead through more local deals that then may lead to one Yorkshire in the end hopefully that unites people because I think the disappointing thing obviously is that the cause of, of decentralization of devolution is one I'm very passionate about but in reality what we've had are some people kind of on the kind of uh, we want to lead city deal say and some people on the one Yorkshire bandwagon now in reality a lead city region deal is the only way we'll ever get to one Yorkshire sure. so uh, I think that is helpful because it means that people aren't having to choose anymore because mm. it never really was a choice and there was a bit of toing and froing in South Yorkshire some people wanted to get out of the Sheffield city region yeah. and sort of saw one Yorkshire as a kind of a lifeboat out of South Yorkshire a place I would never want to escape from, personally. <laughs> yeah. And, but that, that now we're in a position where all roads are leading to one Yorkshire. It's not possible for some of the sort of very mechanistic local politics to get in the way. And I think that whoever's elected in the next general election, um, it won't be very long until you see further progress on devolution in Yorkshire. Yeah. And the key point is that we also need to devolve power over things like transport funding. So that won't just go, that would, would go to city regions. Um, and to existing devolved mayors but you'd also want to take more powers over northern transport as well over we would argue 
the whole of the budget for HS2 north of Birmingham, the whole of the budget for Northern Powerhouse Rail. Because a lot of these projects, although they're called Northern projects, coming back to some of the points from the opening comments from our readers, actually they're national projects that have North in the name. And what Anna's getting at, and I think where we absolutely agree, is that this is an election about power, not just about money. Mm -hmm. And obviously we have seen some telephone book numbers last week. And in reality, from both the main parties, they are telephone book numbers. It's much more important that those figures, whatever they may be, are actually controlled here in the north. Because then if you do have a priority to do something incredible over, say, 20 or 30 years, you can reasonably deliver those things. In reality, in five years, we're not going to close the north-south divide. And so you can't just trust that whoever the next prime minister is or the next chancellor is on your side and it's fine. Because we need the next six, seven, eight chancellors, the next six, seven, eight prime ministers to all do the stuff we need them to do. Yeah. And the way you do that is by permanently shifting power to the north of England. Absolutely. Annie, you look like you want to come in there. Go on. Yeah, I, I think one of the problems also with the sort of the deal making and the quite short term funding is again we lock into those political cycles which encourage the sound bites, the big sort of one off payments, but you don't get that long term structural investment, which is, is what regions like, like Yorkshire need. I think another point is that it's, Henry's absolutely right, it's not a zero-sum game. So if you look at countries where devolution is really successful and well-ingrained and where devolution is, is just how things are done, you've actually got different things devolved to different levels and much more working between levels. We've got a bit of that already in the north, so we have transport from the north, mm-hmm. we have the NP11, which are doing things that frankly make sense at a pan-northern geography, there are some things that, that work much better at the level of small areas than working together. So again, we need that, that real sense of what devolution is for, what it can achieve over the long time, and also how it involves doing things differently. And I, I think coming back to Ian's point, another area where we, we really do need investment that's well-directed and that's that's spent as communities need it on the ground for the long term is that investment in people and places and things like education, skills, public health, communities. Um, A lot of those things work well with a high level of local control. Um, We did some work on investment in skills. Um, There's actually some some really good use of powers that have been passed to local areas, Um, but a sense that some great ideas and projects hit a sort of power glass ceiling, and we need need to to look at how we, we make cracks in that. Absolutely. Now, one of the points raised there, well, obviously... Clearly, I can get from all of you on board with devolution in this room. But, you know, the point that Andy made there is that he feels, and it's an opinion shared by a lot of people, that the reason it hasn't gone ahead so far is that the likelihood would be that it was Labour-led. I mean, from you guys, from Andy and Ian, is it good enough that party political lines are stopping this going forward? No, because it's about... It shouldn't be about the political landscape. Mm-hmm. It's about the individual on the ground who needs those services, whatever they might be, whatever affects the community on a daily basis. Yeah. It's not about point scoring at a political level. Absolutely. And I think some politicians need to let their egos go and their party lines go and recognise it's about the man, woman and child on the streets and what's best for them. Mm-hmm. And in, in terms of that, they have to recognise the key things that worry people on the streets, which is education, which is crime, which is health. And if you've got those three things, it's going back to where we were 20 years ago. 
commit to those three things that affect every community. Make sure people have got enough money to feed themselves, that they can access services, NHS and other services, as much as they can, but forget the political landscape. Because if we point scoring, nothing will ever get done. We will never get an agreement to move forward. This has to be a long-term committed plan. I completely agree with what my colleagues from the think tank say. It's got to be a long-term plan. There's no short solution now. This has to be 20, 30, 40 years of a plan that starts now and adapts and evolves as we move forward and as we continue to get uh, this thing ruling that Mm. we have in the north. Absolutely. Now, Andy, I will just say here, just for transparency reasons, you did used to work for Stuart Andrew MP, correct? But you have no party kind of affiliation. You're not a member of the Tory or anything like that. No, that's fine. Just so everyone's aware. But, you know, we are talking about potentially having a Labour leader and that being the the problem there. Why is that that an issue for you? I think, as was said, is that um, a lot of for a lot of politicians, their ego sort of gets in the way, and they forget that ultimately you're there to represent people. And really, the question they need to be asking themselves is, what sort of area do I want to live in? Do I want to live in an area where disabled children have access to better education and better support services, where families know where their next meal's coming from, or where? they can access the best thing to their families and at the minute it shouldn't be a problem at all that there's a Labour mayor in a Conservative city for example and as Henry said you know examples in the North East where where Ben is working with Labour councils and from an outsider's perspective seems to be delivering quite a lot at least so it shouldn't be a problem but I think sadly it does get in the way and certainly in Yorkshire I think it's, there's sometimes an easy habit to fall into of being quite parochial about things of an MP having one view of councillors having another of public potentially having another and of certain uh, I guess lobbying groups having another point of view so it makes progress really difficult. Absolutely, absolutely. Ian? I, I think um, what I want to come back and I completely agree with what Andy said there a point that Andy made earlier, there is still a big suspicion from people on the ground that if the Northern Powerhouse is based in Leeds or a, a certain part of the county, then all the money would go in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to get our communication right about how that money will be spread mm-hmm. evenly or in the right, it doesn't even have to be even, in the right place where it's needed, when it's needed, not that because it's based in Leeds or West Yorkshire or South Yorkshire that gets the most money and I I think for people on ground that's the biggest suspicion Mm -hmm. Um, and some MPs, some MPs and local councillors have that problem they've got to get over it it's about what's best for the communities and the whole of the North of Yorkshire uh, North, Northern (laughs) Powerhouse in Yorkshire Um, but I think the other thing that scares politicians is if we get a Northern Powerhouse that is, is Yorkshire and the whole of one Yorkshire we become very very powerful in the political arena in the country and that will scare London that will scare London centric MPs who will not want that power taken away from them and the reduction in what they can do Mm -hmm. because how can they control something that is a third of the country effectively Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so 
What do we all think of Labour's announcement then about moving government departments to North? You know, we're talking not just transport, but you know, HMRC and all various different parts. That John McDonald's talking about having the Treasury up here. Is that moving in the right direction, or is it tokenistic? I think the thing is, isn't it, is that you want. I think the idea of having a Treasury units to do the National Transformation Fund has lots of merit to it because there is always this gap that, that Greater Manchester, for instance, does have more capacity because they've done devolution in one form or another for 20 years. Yes. And so when you want to do something in Cumbria, in many ways it's as economically important. Uh, the Hum will be an example to give a kind of a Yorkshire and North Lincolnshire example. Obviously not all, the York, not all of the Humber is technically in Yorkshire, uh, but I think it can maybe just make it on. The kind of, those places need that investment and the opportunities, say, in the energy sector are much greater in the Humber or in West Cumbria than they are in Manchester or Leeds. Mm-hmm. And the, the fate of Manchester and Leeds' economies is partly dependent on manufacturing, on energy, on industries that are not just in cities, like health, innovation or digital might be. And so I do think there's something to be said for that Treasury unit being a good, a good idea. And, but what's interesting is that Labour's announcement, I think, as we alluded to earlier, was soft on, on devolution, um, but very heavy on money. Uh, Andy Burnham makes this point, and, and I've made it previously, but I'm not nicking it from him. And it's the idea that, that the Tories want to give us loads of devolution, but are a bit, a bit vague on how much money they'll be. Labour have got all these bags of cash, and the structures aren't really, they're not that committed to, to real devolution. It sounds like the return to government offices, which is fine, but that's not what we really want. What we want isn't for the north of England to just have someone they can go with the begging bowl to around the corner. Yeah, like, a northern outpost. We've, 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 got, we've, got, we've got trains. We can go to Whitehall and make an argument at the moment. Yeah. The difference is that we shouldn't have to ask permission to invest in our local economies. And so I think that if you take one interpretation of labour proposals, which is that local government leaders in partnership with business and trade unions will make the decisions, well, that sounds great. But if it is just a return to civil servants but just with different accents making the decisions, I'm not sure that's the right idea. And I think that certainly squaring that kind of circle of having a commitment that's both about the fiscal devolution and also about the kind of right accountability structures, and we have got these elected mayors, right, including here in Yorkshire, I think that it would be mad to bypass Dan Jarvis and spend that money at a Yorkshire level without including someone like him who's been democratically elected. And I think that... The, the point is that Labour might not have created these mayors, but many of them in the north are Labour. And so you've got to work with the people who are there. And if you read parts of the Labour policy announcement, I'm sure it'll be fixed by the manifesto, because obviously this is a dynamic campaign, people take on board feedback. You'd almost think that the Andy Burners of this world didn't exist. They've cut him from their conference schedule. Maybe Jeremy doesn't know he exists. But I think <laughs> the people of Greater Manchester, I think the people of South Yorkshire, do know these people exist, and they would want them to play a role, whatever that role may be, but they need to have a significant role. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we haven't met, mentioned the B word so far, so we are going to come on to it now. You know, we've spoken about those big priorities, and you mentioned, you know, health, education, that people will be voting along, but people will also be voting along Brexit lines. You can't deny that they will. Um, and how do you think Brexit has impacted how people might vote in Yorkshire? I want to state first of all that uh, where I come from on this, which is I'm someone who voted Remain, yeah. and I strongly believe in remaining, mm-hmm. and that's because we are better at the table influencing from the inside than we are standing against 28 nations who have a powerful vote. Mm-hmm. So I want to say that first yeah. of all. 
What's important with Brexit, and it's, it's been run on a politics of fear and scaremongering, mm-hmm. right from day one, without any clear facts or understanding about what the impact of either staying or going has been. We still don't know now. We, we still don't know what the impact of staying or going means to this country. Everybody can guess, and you've got both sides throwing their best guesses which some are untruths, some are wild, but nobody knows. In terms of the people on the street, Leeds, I believe, was about Mm 50-50 when it voted Brexit, about 0.3% difference, very, very close. And that was without any information, real solid information. My guess is with what we know now, there may be a swing towards Remain unless people have got bored with Brexit mm-hmm. and just want people to get on with it. Yeah. But that my best guess at the moment is that you'll get the heartlands of Rotherham and Doncaster that vote to leave, want to leave, and will not move away from that vote. But it's the swing voters in the middle that now they've got more information will make a, uh, a considered decision. Mm. And I think I think that might be about remaining. Because of the fear of leaving and the impact of leaving, now we have more information. It's interesting the places you mentioned there, because you think about, you know, um, Don Valley, for example, where you've got Caroline Flint, Labour MP, but has repeatedly said that she, well, obviously the Brexit deal has now passed, but that she would vote for the Brexit deal. And that that did make her popular in her constituency. You can't deny that it didn't, because it's a leave voting constituency, and that may have helped Labour. But, Andy, do you think... That when people are at the ballot box on the top of December, how fragmented is this vote going to be when you think about it being split along party lines already and then and along Brexit lines as well? And then you've got people like the Lib Dems and the Brexit Party offering massive different sides of the spectrum. How divided is this vote going to be? I think massively, and um, to go back to the point that was made, the reason that I didn't bring Brexit up is because I'm sick to death of yeah. talking about it and I suspect lots of people are. What concerns me about that is that people are sick to death of it so they then start ignoring it Mm -hmm. and actually it is a humongous decision Um, but you know I I think when people get to the ballot box it will be sort of you know they might look at who they voted for previously or who their family votes for and then they might look at Brexit as their second sort of filter and certainly there's lots of my friends are struggling with the idea of you know, pretend they voted Labour or Conservative the last election, but actually are uncomfortable with um, with those parties for some reason, and then think, oh, actually, I'll go and turn to the Lib Dems. But then the Lib Dems have a very clear and controversial, for some, position on Brexit, so people are put off voting for them. I think, ultimately, it, it probably helps the Tories, because I think people will just say, yeah, we've, we've had our say before, yeah. and... I don't want to go through all of this again because people are just sick of talking about it. And people are sick of talking about it, you're quite right, but I fear we're not going to stop talking about it. No, absolutely. <laughs> Especially because this week uh, Nigel Farage, the leader of the Brexit Party, has announced he will not be putting candidates in every seat in the country, like we had previously said, um, but will stand aside in Tory seats and is again targeting Labour seats, specifically those Labour heartlands in the North. Henry, I know you've got some opinions on this. What do you think of the announcement? 
So I think it's really interesting. And I mean, I think they were only ever going to win seats up here anyway. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it's it's not a massive change in position. I think they were only standing in those other places. The soundings were so they could get on, on national debates. And now that the, all the decisions have been made by the broadcasters about who they're going to invite on those debates, in a way, Ooh, so they've, got, they've got nothing more to win or lose. <laughs> so um, I think you've got to kind of look at it from the perspective of of kind of what their other domestic policies are as well. So the Brexit Party's problem is they don't really have any policies at all. Sure. And they have Farage who undoubtedly will inspire a degree of, of loyalty and certainly gives people... But won't stand himself. But won't stand himself. <laughs> and I think and what you're left with is kind of... And, and all of the electoral math says that a kind of someone who's good at getting people to vote on a party list doesn't necessarily work when they're not themselves on the ballot paper. Mm-hmm. And so the sort of psychology of it all doesn't look great for them. What it probably does do is help Labour MPs. And you look at seats like Yvette Cooper's, for instance, where she's taken a principal position on Brexit in the interest of her constituents, but in a seat that was heavily leave. Um, and if there were people who are alienated ex-Labour voters, they now have a big choice to make between Boris Johnson, the Leavers Prime Minister, and the Brexit Party. And if anything, it probably makes Labour MPs in safe Labour seats safer, not more at risk. And then you add in the fact that those of us who campaign on domestic issues, we don't take a view on Brexit, because Northerners, to be honest, are pretty divided on the issue, and there are as many Remainers as there are, yeah. like in this in this room, as there Absolutely. are Leavers. Um, but what's really interesting is that the Brexit Party's only policy is to cut investment to the North. So HS2, the bit they haven't built yet, is the bit north of Birmingham. That's the bit they want to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And, and if your only domestic policy is taking 26 billion quid out of the North, mm-hmm. making it impossible pretty much to then build a train line from Yorkshire that goes any further than Manchester, so what about when Leeds play away in the future in the Premier League at Liverpool. What about when uh, when they want to when we want to go watch rugby league in Warrington? Yeah. What are they going to do? Well, they're not going to travel on Northern Powerhouse Rail because you could have cancelled the money for the tunnel that gets you out of Manchester. So um, obviously, I even just did it then. I called the UKIP. Awful, isn't it? <laughs> so um, whatever you think of as kind of their political triangulation and their messages, um, I think on practice there is definitely going to be a kickback against their domestic political agenda being an anathema to most Northerners. And I think they think that some of that HS2 doesn't play well in the towns. Well, ironically, there are leavers across the north of England. And actually, if you go to a place, many of the places that are going to benefit from the improved connectivity, like between here and Doncaster, those local services, once you build HS2, will get a lot better. A lot of the, the big leave seats are between here and Donny. And so if people in those constituencies realise that this is essentially cutting investment to their constituency then that's not going to play well for them. And I think because they haven't got any other policies, they can't. They haven't got any northern offer at all from what I can work out. And they've said they're not going to publish a manifesto. So we, we as an organisation are reviewing all the party manifestos. Well, we've already given them a D- minus because yeah. there's no manifesto coming and the only thing they've come up with is anti-northern. And so yeah. other than Brexit, they have nothing to offer the north. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to change. Absolutely. Now, Anna, who do you think the Brexit Party standing a candidate might hurt more? Is it going to be the Tories? Is it going to be Labour? Or is there not really going to be any impact? I I honestly don't know, and I think it will go seat by seat in the end, and it will depend enormously on on local campaigns. But Henry's raised a really important point there, um, and this comes back to something that Ian said earlier, which is that actually that question of, so what does Brexit, of whatever form, mean for domestic policy beyond really huge headlines and we've somehow not even got to the, the headline behind the soundbite yeah. and I think that's you know a, a challenge for all the parties again coming back to points made very early in this discussion actually about trust about what is being promised and how will that be delivered so 
I think that that's a really important question. But I suspect in the election, a lot of this will be seat by seat. And paradoxically, may come down to some very local issues. Absolutely, absolutely. So just to round off, I'd like to go around the room, and I'd like you to tell me one thing that you'll particularly be looking out for in the next five weeks and what the parties say. It's not going to be the only thing that decides your vote, but it might be something that may plays quite a big impact. Anyhow, I know you might want to uh, not put any party allegiances on, but what's important to your organisations, maybe. So let's start with Andy. What's your big ticket item you'll be looking for? Uh, the big thing for me at the minute is special education and mm. the lack of funding for support services. I think too often um, political parties fall into the trap of talking about education, which obviously you know, would welcome any discussion on education, but discussing education often comes without discussing special education or discussions around mental health. Then you have discussions about mental health that, again, don't cover special education, I think, too often politicians sort of see this all as one issue rather than something really specific. So I'd be interested in what their specific plans are around that. Lovely. How about you, Ian? I think I'll come back to something, being a bit greedy about what I said earlier. Yeah. I think the three big things for me are education, and I fully support what Andy said, but I think it's, it's, not, it's education at primary, at secondary mm-hmm. People forget about further education and adult learning, which is always the Cinderella, and there's never enough money for our technician grades and then universities. About crime and about... There's a real... Now, whether it's reported differently or an uplifting serious crime, knife crime, there was a report this morning about knives being bought online and more and more knives being bought online, about how are we putting police officers on the streets, and not the headline figures of 20,000 new police officers, but it's about how you get that crime and the communities sorted, uh, and about health. How do you improve the health of the nation? It's not just about the NHS. It's about having a long-term health plan that everybody can access a doctor when they want, they can get their health dealt with when they want. And I, I think if we can deal with those three things and making sure that the the, 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 uh, the political party that says this is what we're going to do and doesn't slag off, for want of a better word, what everybody else is saying. Yeah. I want a political party that says this is what we're going to do on education, this is what we're going to do on health, this is what we're going to do on crime, this is how it's going to affect you. This is money, they can say what they want, but it's about the policy. How are they going to do that? For me, that's a big thing. Absolutely. Uh, IPPR North, what is your one item you're going to be looking out for? I think it will be that question about um, how is the investment that's, that, that, that both the main parties have, have promised for the North, how will that come with powers that mean you've got a long-term, sustainable, accountable um, framework of devolution that will actually change the structure of how, of, of how the country's governed and give the regions and people within the regions um, that real sense of control. And also that real sense of being part of the the debate and the discussion. We, we've heard the phrase, it's not particularly useful phrase, left behind places. So how will a, a, a new and robust framework of devolution um, give people a sense of that actually being involved and included? And some of that goes to the things that Ian's just said. Absolutely. Henry, round us off, what do you think? I think your northern litmus tests are probably HS2 and northern powerhouse rail. I think they're definitely more investment for the most disadvantaged in education, a bit like special educational needs. There are lots of money for schools at the moment being talked about, but in the case of the North, the education gap is a massive reason why we have lower productivity. And finally, 
as we've alluded to earlier, commitment to more powers and devolution, we'd argue, for 100% the north. So every part of the Yorkshire bit of the powerhouse benefits from what devolution's already bringing to many other parts of the north of England. I think parties that make those sorts of commitments will make great hay in the election in those marginal seats. And I think that those that don't will find their opponents start picking them up because far from powering the north, they're lacking, they're lacking the energy and, and vigour that's needed to close that north-south divide. And that empty tank, do you mean, for the Northern Powerhouse, I think is a real issue at this election because all of them are going are gonna to want to buy the car and show it off without they've got any fuel in the tank. And those key sort of credible policy commitments that are measurable is what we're going to pick up. And when we do our verdicts and manifestos, you don't want to get what Nigel Farage has got and get that D minus. You want to be getting a B, a B plus, maybe even an A for those parties that really make the effort. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much to our guests. Thank you to Andy, Henry and Ian for coming on today. This was the first episode of the Yorkshire Post political podcast, Podzone Country. Please leave us a review, subscribe and tell your friends and you can get us on all your favourite podcasting apps. I've been Jerry Scott. Thank you very much for joining us. If you want a better tomorrow, start heading for it today at Carol and Kinsella BlackRock. We've got Toyota's full range of self-charging hybrid electric cars, including the eye-catching CHR and RAV4. With contributions of up to €3,000, join the thousands of hybrid drivers who have made Toyota Ireland's best-selling car brand in 2021. So start your electric journey. Contact us today or search Carol and Kinsella BlackRock. Toyota. Built for a better world. Terms and conditions apply.